Good morning, and welcome to our Let's Talk Live segment. Um, today is July seventeenth. Uh, actually, <laughs> I thought it was the sixteenth. Today is July seventeenth. It's Friday. Um, hope you all made it through your week and uh, excited to make it to Friday. Um, it's usually the weekend, entering the weekend for most of us, and so uh, we're thankful for that. Um, today we're going to continue our conversation around uh, racial harmony and ethnic conciliation and uh, as we always say our our aim and purpose here is to simply have a dialogue um, to simply offer a perspective around this issue is to get people of different ethnicities and different cultural backgrounds and uh, different uh, worldviews to to kind of come to the table and just have a a much needed conversation uh, that is um, Again, yeah, as I just said, so needed in this in this country. Um, we live in some very unprecedented uh, times and moments. Um, you know, as we all are paying attention to the news and what's going on around us, uh, we live in some some very scary moments. Um, and so today, I want to two things we want to kind of talk about is first is I want to address or speak to what the church's response should look like uh, to the issue of racism, uh, particularly in our country. And then I also want to take a bit of a moment to offer just uh, some perspective on uh, COVID-19 and what and how should we handle that. Um, I know a lot of us can tend to uh, get anxious in this moment and um, you know, uh, stress levels rise uh, during this. A lot of us are tired of dealing with it. Um, should we should we err on the side of caution? Should we relax and let it pass us by? There's a lot of thoughts around this. And so these are the two topics we want to kind of address. And so I'm just going to kind of jump in and then just start with the idea of, or yeah, the thought of what should the church's response be to uh, racism, particularly in our country. I think I don't know where everyone's at, but I think, you know, when we read our Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I think it's a beautiful picture of God rescuing man. And so, you know, when you when you look at the Genesis account of how this all started, God in heaven has created everything. And when he gets to man, you know, one thing he did, he, he not only declares him good, but when he gets to the creation of man, of Adam, as we know it, he does something different than he does in the rest of the creative order. He looks at the Godhead, the triune, the Trinity, and he, and he says in just a conversation amongst themselves, and he said, let us make man in our own, in our own image. And I just want to stop there just to think about that for a second. That God, when he called the sun to be the sun, it fell into position. He called trees to be trees and they stood in position. He called the fish in the water and they're there as we know it. Everything in creation responded to what God had called them to. And they responded and they continued to respond. We know life in part because of what creation continues to do in response to the Godhead. 
Yet when we get to man, something different happens. We're the only people left with a choice. Or we're the only part of creation left with a choice. I don't have to do anything I don't feel like doing. Right? There's a choice. There's an innate choice in me that says I can do good or I can do bad. But before I even jump too deep in there, I want to back up to this, this, this idea that God will look at the God and said, hey, I want to do something different here. I want to make these people human beings in, in my image. That out the gate tells you something about us as people. It, 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 it kind of excites me because not only are we given, do we take on a different role than the rest of the creation or that, but that God will place a high worth and value and dignity in each and every one of us. And so that when you look at a human being, you're not merely looking at a human being. You're looking at someone made in the image of God himself. And so when I look at that, I think here is how you, I, I want to say here out the, out the start, how you start this conversation around racism matters. And I want to start with the Bible because I think it's, it's we need to we need to origin this conversation somewhere. This conversation has to have a starting point. And too easy when you're looking at a situation uh, like particularly racism. The, the biggest question I think we sit there and ask one another is how did we get here? Was it always like this? I'm a 30-year-old man. As far as I know, it's always been like this from what I've seen. But when I read my Bible, when I look back through the history of, of, of human beings, of mankind, I'm reminded that this is not how it started. That what God created in the creation order, he declared good. Human life is not a mistake by God. Human life had dignity and value by God, because of God. When, when he made human beings, when he created the human being, he had a good and very well plan for us. What got us off track? Well, if you've read your Bible and you know the story, been to Sunday school, I'm sure you heard the story. We jump now into Genesis 3, and then start to take a shift. As I talked a bit about the choice that we have, or that what a lot of people in, in church circles will call free will, something got off track. I'll paraphrase this story got Eve in the garden, Adam in the garden, doing whatever, just living life, I would imagine. Eve's tempted by the snake. The snake communicates with Eve and say, hey, you know, see, you got it made here, but, you know, that tree over there, you can't touch it. Eve, prayer, you know, goes on and say, oh, yeah, we just, you know, just that one little tree, we can't, you know, make us like God or whatever, you know. How does, how does the enemy get us? 
takes the Bible and twists it. Uh, he didn't really say that. God didn't really say that. He didn't mean it like that. You know, he just doesn't want you to be God. He doesn't want you to be in control. He doesn't want you to have all power like him. Right? Because if you eat of this tree, you'll have just as much power as God. And then you won't need God anymore. Right? Right? Creation would be bigger than the creator at that point. You know the story. She bites the fruit. Not only that, she talks her husband into it. And then we see the first sign of something's wrong in our world. Something has wrong. But I, what I love about the story is it's when God comes back, all-knowing God, right? He comes back to the garden. Imagine, imagine what happens. Eve was the one tempted. She bit the fruit first. But what does God do? <laughs> he starts with the first one he created. Something to be said about that, and that's another conversation. But he calls out for Adam. He says, Adam, where are you? As if <laughs> God doesn't already know. He calls out to Adam and says, hey, Adam, where are you? What kind of gig is up, Adam? Adam comes out and say, you know, God says, basically, what are you hiding for? Adam, you know, kind of like we all do, when we do something wrong, we play hide and seek, hope nobody sees us. And while men may, may not see us, we forget that God sees everything. And so this is the story we know as the fall of mankind. This is when sin enters the world. This is when things get off track. This is the interest to a broken world. And from there, me, you, every human being, I would say over the age of 10 years old, has added to this narrative. Believer, unbeliever, saved, unsaved, we've all added to this narrative. We've all added our part to the fracturing of what was once good. You say, well, how does racism fit into all this? I'm saying in, 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 in the most simplest form, racism is just a byproduct of sin. And brothers and sisters, when you understand racism to just be that, just to be sin, then you know how to address it. But when you want to call it a myth and a fairy tale and a concept and a this and that, we, we make this stuff harder than what it is. The great hope in this fight against race, racism is it's not the unforgivable sin. That's the great hope. That's not the unforgivable sin. That Christ even died for the races. Many of which, many of whom, much of us have been guilty in this area in our lives, if we're honest. And I'm talking both sides. I'm not talking at particularly my white brothers and sisters. I'm talking to all of humanity. So sin enters the world. Bye, bye. So let's jump back up to 2020. We're facing this issue of racism still in our country that's been a 
age-old problem. Our ancestors' ancestors have dealt with this stuff. This is nothing new under the sun. It's just repackaged. That's all this is. It's repackaged. Racism is nothing new. There's no do A plus B and get C and that's the solution. No, the solution is we must have our hearts changed. I don't care who you vote into office and all that stuff is good and necessary. Trust me, I'm affirming and stand behind it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change hearts. It does not change hearts. It can't. And so we can get a new talker box in the White House. But if the heart's not changed, the problem continues. And so when you look at the narrative, the historical narrative of just this problem of racism in the country, we've gotten it wrong for so long. It's time to start applying new solutions to this issue. Our conversation, our podcast, our panel discussions, they're great and needed, but that's not the solution. At best, these are launch pads. That's the way I look at them. These are launch pads. These conversations around racism are simply launch pads. And so to the Christian listening, to, to, to the person that's placed their faith in Christ, and Christ is your God, and you are his, what's your response here? I want to say this out, out, out the gate. I'm going to reference and silence is not the right answer. Notice I didn't say silence isn't an answer. I said it's not the right answer because silence is an answer. Your silence, being silent, is an answer. Actually, I say I would, I would argue that you're one of the most dangerous people in this conversation. Because you're taking this very passive approach. At least if you're on the opposite side of this, we know it and you're not hiding, but your silence doesn't tell us where you're at. And so it's this idea of, 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 of kind of a lukewarm Christian. It's this idea of you're, you're, you're Christian by somewhat default, but you're lukewarm, and what does Christ say about that? Obviously, he spits us out his mouth. And I won't go into more detail of that because it's, that's ugly in itself. But I want to say first, first, silence is not the right answer. Second, I think you'd be hard pressed to look in your Bible to read about this God who saves sinners, which all of us are, and then turn your nose up and demean and degrade your brown brothers and sisters. To look at the injustices going on around the world and just say, Amir, I stand in solidarity with you, but won't do anything other than have a coffee conversation around this issue. It takes more than that. You must roll up your sleeves and get into it. The Bible calls us to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. We have to get in the trenches as brothers and sisters in the faith. We have to get in the trenches with our our black brothers and sisters who are in a fight for their very existence, for our very existence, we are in a fight. 
we are simply being eradicated off this planet. And too many of our well-meaning white brothers and sisters are not saying anything. But collectively go into their churches, their houses of worship, weekend after weekend, are now tuning and are not addressing this issue. Are calling it political, are calling it social, are calling it everything but a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue. And it must be handled from a gospel perspective. You say, well, what do you mean when you say you can call this thing a gospel issue? I'm, I'm going to define it like this, and this is just the best way I can put it. When we say gospel issue, I'm just simply defining gospel as this. It's a million ways you can define it. We are, most of us know gospel to be this good news. But I believe it's only good news because it invades bad, bad spaces. Hear me once more. The gospel is the good news only because it invades bad spaces. Other than that, it's news. It in, gospel is the good news because it, invade, it invades bad spaces like racism. And so therefore, we can call it out when we see it in our brothers and sisters and say, repent and turn back to God. But to think that the church is responsible for a lot of this racism that plagues our American culture is frightening. To think that the KKK was birthed out of the church, around a doctrine taught within the church, and that still exists in 2020, is frightening. To think that Sunday morning is the most segregated, segregated, segregated day of the week is frightening. That we got this thing called a white church and a black church and a and this church and that church is frightening. I heard one friend, I was talking to one friend recently, he said, yeah, there's this, we, 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 need, we need the homogenous church. I wanna almost push back and say, do we really? So I leaned in a little bit, I said, what do you mean by that? He said, yeah, we need the, the churches that look like our community. That's the problem, our churches often don't look like our communities. I know many churches that look nothing like the community they're in. It's more they're, they're there for political reasons than anything. I say it all the time, being reconciled to, to God calls us by, 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 by way of byproduct to be reconciled to man. How can you say you're reconciled to God and not reconciled to your fellow man? It's hypocrisy. Yet we look and point the finger at the world and say they're doing this wrong and, and, and the government's doing this wrong. And I'm asking, what is the church doing? We have no real alternative. We have no real alternative since the civil rights movement. We have no real alternative. And so you want to push back against this, this Black Lives Matter movement? I'm saying, what is the church doing? Because we're not out front. We're catching up to the conversation. We're catching up to the fight. We're not leading in protest. Yes, you have elements of the black church stepping up, but again, our, again, our white brothers and sisters are, are often not there. 
not not by large numbers at least so I, let me let me let me go on record and say this i'm not talking to all my white brothers and sisters because i know white pastors and church leaders and brothers and white brothers and sisters that are in this thick with us that are calling out this injustice going on in our in our world in our churches and so to you i say thank you you're the most encouraging element to this fight i know many i talk with you daily i walk with you and you know who you are and so to god be the glory we thank you for you but i'm talking to the many that are sitting silent that takes the stance of i don't know what to do and i don't know what to say and won't do anything whose hearts are not convicted. How can you see a life taken and not feel something about it? And not feel that something's wrong? That these lives are being taken unjustly? Every time a life is cut short, every single time a life is cut short, that's to the ability to reach their heart for Christ. Think about that for a moment. We given one command by Christ before he ascended back to heaven. Go and make disciples of all nations. So not to, not, not to get technical here and, and break the language down, but that word, that word nation means ethno. It's where we get our word. It's where we get the word ethnicity from. It's people groups. Christ didn't die for mere white people, mere black people. No, Christ died for people, human life. And so when we say, when you hear your black brothers and sisters, your chocolate brothers and sisters, when you hear us crying out that black lives matters, understand what we're saying. We believe all lives matters naturally. It's our modified way of saying all lives matters. We're not, we're not denying that all lives don't matter. But in a world where black lives are taken so, so frequently and unjustly, to the point that we're almost eradicated, then yes, we have to cry out, black lives matters. Then you get this other argument, well, well what, do you, what do you do about black and black crime? Don't deflect, please. People don't deflect, please don't deflect. Don't miss the issue at hand. Brothers and sisters in the church, I'm telling you, we're gonna be held accountable for our response to this moment. To think that we can be right, theologically and doctrinally, in so many areas, yet when it comes to this issue of racism, I've never seen the church more divided. I mean, sure, we can we can be divided on, on, on different matters. That's that's great. And then we can argue style of worship, you know, how we be baptized. We can we can argue those out. But when it comes to this issue of racism, it's sin. It's it's just simple as that. And so to to make it bigger than what it is, or not bigger as what it should be, it's concerning. It's concerning. That church leaders will not stand in their pulpit and confront this issue. Church, we have to do better. We have to do better. This is our brief moment in history. 
I don't know that we're gonna get a, a better moment in history because here's, here's what we do know, history has a way of repeating itself. This will show back up on our doorsteps. And are we gonna be, about, be like the Israelites who continue just to run around this mountain, run around the mountain, run around the mountain? Prolonging ultimately what God wants to do in and through us because we refuse to call sin sin. We refuse to say, hey, the church has gotten wrong here. See, we have to understand, sinners sin. So it makes no sense to point at the world and try to judge them. We're wasting time. No, judgment starts in the house of God. It starts with us. We have to do better, church. I believe our God is grieved at how we're responding to this issue as a whole, as a collective whole. I'm talking about the Big C Church. I'm not talking about any particular denomination or any. I'm talking about the Big C Church. We have responded poorly to this issue by and large. Again, since the Civil Rights Movement, we have not done real any real work. Now, at the same time, I want to say I'm very hopeful. Because I am starting to see pockets of the church step out and step in front of this issue. But for all you churches that are sitting alongside this issue silently, saying we're not going to address that, we're not going to make this about politics, and we're not going to do this, and we're not, God is not calling us to this. I would say shame on you. Shame on you and your church. This is not a guilt trip. This is not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm trying to get you to understand that if you say you love God and therefore by, by, by way of loving God, love man, how do you look at this issue and not speak to it? How do you believe that God has called you to, to save a lost and dying world and you would not speak to the issue of racism? How can you read a scripture like John 3.16 and teach it from your text and teach it in memorization and, and vacation Bible schools to young children and then, and then not speak to this issue. How do you, how do you sing from, 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 your, from your church choir all hell the power of, of Jesus and then still condone what we know as modern slavery? These are churches I'm talking to. We got mega churches inviting the president of the United States to come into the church for political reasons to gain background so they can get some money in a very trying time in our country. Gives a blatant racist, calling like us, he gives a blatant racist space in the pulpit and then once expects the blessings of God to fall on. Shame on you. Shame on you. Church, we can't keep sitting silent. We have to get out. We have to be leading in our protests. We have to be leading the marches. We have to be leading leading in, in, in legislation. We have to be leading in politics. We have to be leading in all areas of this thing. It's time to, to, to come to the table and get strategic, to put aside our differences, 
all that stuff that does not matter and say that human life matters to, 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 the, to the heart of God. And that a light cut short, Derek also goes the ability to reach them, to put their faith and trust in Christ. It's scary. It's scary that the church is silent. It's scary. It's scary that a Black Lives Matter is doing more than most of our churches. Who forthrightly says in, the, in, the, in their credence that we're not your grandparents' civil rights movement. They say we don't align with your, your religious theories. But they're out there doing more than we are. We've got it wrong when the church is back in Black Lives Matters, where the church should have Black Lives Matters back in us. We should be leading them. Sadly, they're leading us because we got this wrong. And all we're content is having our little podcasts and our and our little panel discussions and our conferences around this issue. But we're not doing any real work. I know many that will run as social media platforms within the church and it will speak right and justly on this issue, yet won't get out and protest to save their life. Won't won't utter the, the sentiment Black Lives Matters to save their life. Well, that's because we settle for a type of comfortable Christianity. A type of bit live your best life now in Christianity. And so it's easy to say, I'll I'll I stand with you guys in solidarity. Just don't ask me to do anything. Oh, that God might have mercy on your soul. We must repent of the sin of racism within our churches. And I'm talking to both white and brown and black brothers and sisters. We must repent. See, see, the the black church, I was telling somebody this the other day, the black church in part exists out of this thing because of the white church. in part, we exist because of the white church. We're kind of a response to the white church. To think that our schools can be desegregated, but our churches can't. It's, it's baffling. It's baffling. think that we hold the real true answer here and yet we believe but we don't believe we believe but help my unbelief we're just running around a mountain 
But as I started this talk, with the Genesis account, how veins got created everything and it was good and then veins got off track. So you read it until you end of your Bible. The good that was once broken, or once that's once gone bad, that has gone bad, excuse me, will be restored to good again. Not because of anything me or you've done, but because of who Christ is and what he's already done and what he's doing. I'm hopeful to that end. But until then, we have a real work to do. You want to know the will of God? It's, it's prevalent right now. It's as simple. People always talk about, I, I, I'm trying to find the will of God for my life. Get up and do something. Get to work. There's a lost and lying world out there. Get to work. As I tell you all the time, my aim in having this conversation is because I don't want my future kids little willing to have to sit 20, 30 years from now and have the same conversation I'm having. It hurts to have this conversation. It really does. But it's needed. And so that's my thoughts there. And that's, you know, it's a bit hard, but truth as often hurts. We need to be made uncomfortable around this issue. And in closing, I shortly just want to briefly talk about this idea of the coronavirus and the implications of that towards us as, you know, I know it's a hard time out there. Um, I know, I know it's hard. I'm, I'm saying it from my own experience. These are hard days. It's scary. We don't know what to do. Our, our governments, the CDC, we're, we're being told all different things. You know, they're saying wear your mask and they, some people are passing laws to make it to mask mandates and others are not. Others are freaking out as there's real, you know, mental health uh, implications here that needs to be addressed and trauma that comes with this that we're, you know, and so the, the thing is I always try to tell people, you know, take care of yourself. Please take care of yourself. Wear your mask. Clean your hands, watch what you touch. But at the same time, checking on your loved ones. It's okay to need help and need somebody to talk to. I think therapy during this time is probably of high importance. A type of biblical therapy I would I would I would aim for. So Christian therapy, I would say it's it doesn't mean you're crazy and you lost your mind. In one sense we all are. So welcome to the table. But if you need help, you need somebody to talk to, reach out to somebody. You know, I know a lot of us are in isolation and feel like nobody cares and nobody's around. But one, know that God's always there. He has not forgotten. That we will come out of this. We will make it to the other side. But it doesn't mean that scars, we won't endure scars along the way. That is to say that God is faithful by his word, faithful to finish what he started. He's faithful to complete it. The scriptures remind us of that. But if you need somebody to talk to, please find somebody. Journal, write, do whatever you gotta do. Find somebody to talk to, let people know how you're feeling. 
don't be afraid out to if you can reach out to your loved ones your family your friends reach out you know we have to do things by phone and technology now and there's a lot of zoom calling and facetiming and all types of texting and you know i know everybody's not comfortable with that but do something if you if you're old school and you want to write a letter i'm all for it i, I still write letters today go for it but check in with somebody and get help if you need the help don't 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 try to get through this alone and if you're in a church i'm sure please find a church body even while we're in our practicing social distance and many of us not meeting in our in our physical uh, buildings anymore know that the church is a people anyway i extend my door to you to my heart my life is open to you but please don't feel like you have to battle us alone and that god is not god is not upset with you he is madly in love with you you right now you with all the junk, all the scars, all the mistakes, all the failures. He's in love with that person. So he's not in love with some future, put together, well-groomed version of you. He's not. He loves you right where you are. The one that, 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 that made that bad decision this morning. The one that made the bad decision on yesterday night. That's the person he's in love with. It's this idea that God did not die because you got a right. What separates Christianity from every other religion is the idea that God in heaven comes down to us. We don't have to go to hell. I love the story of the prodigal son because it's a beautiful picture of God coming to us and not us coming to him. It was the father who saw the son from afar off and ran to the son. It was not the son running to the father. The father was always looking. God is where he's always been. That's why I love the song Amazing Grace, and that's why I think we all cling to it, because it's this idea that we were the lost ones. Christ was never lost. And so this idea when we say, I found God, is it's is, is that, well, I hear your heart, I will push back and say, no, 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 let's get the wording right. You did not find God because he was never lost. You were the lost one. We were the lost ones. I was the lost one. Hell, and I feel like preaching in this moment, but, 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 but hear me, dear soul, don't feel like you're alone in this. I know so many people right now that are going through it, leaning and checking out. It's a, it's a simple text. It's a simple phone call. You don't know how much that can make somebody's day, make somebody's moment to know that they're not forgotten in this moment. Yes, you can still practice your social distance. I'm not saying get up and go over the house. I'm saying just pick up the phone, write a letter, pray for somebody. I assume, is there anything you can do for them? Can you just be a, just a listening ear to them? Don't let your brothers and sisters go through this alone. It is hard. It is hard. Just ask your, ask your counselor, su ask your, uh, your counselor. Suicide is at a high rate now, extremely high rate. People are losing their minds. But it's at these moments, it's at these moments where people's hearts are most open and most receptive. If we can just reach out and just offer, offer some, offer, offer the love of God to them. Church, this is our, this is our moment. 
even in the midst of our own pains and our own struggles, this is our moment to show the love of God, to make much of God in a, in a, in a broken world. We're going through it as a people. It is not easy out here. But don't, but don't just isolate yourself to the point that you just forget about people. We remember when God created, he, he, he created us in a way that we were made for community. We were made for one another. That this isolation even that we find ourselves in is not now God's ideal plan. It's just a season that we're in. But in our isolation, that does not mean isolate ourselves from one another. If it's just me, you have to tap it into a Zoom call just to feel connected to one of you. You have to pick up the phone and just say, hey, I just needed to hear your voice. Don't shut down. Don't do this alone. We need each other. I see so many people shutting down and shutting down and shutting down and just stressing themselves out. God is with you. He's there. He's where he's always been. He's waiting with open arms. And so he's not reaching down to hurt you or harm you. He's reaching down to wrap you in his love. That even in this moment, God in heaven is singing over you. And so take heart this morning. Take heart this moment right now in your life, wherever you find yourself. Maybe you battled and, 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 and caught the coronavirus. God is not giving up on you. Take care of yourself during this season. Checking on your loved ones, checking on your friends, checking on your neighbors, checking on your community. Love on each other during this season. Please, this is, we need each other. We have to stay united even in our distance. Even in our social distance, we have to find those ways to, to still reach out. I do it in moments when I don't feel like reaching out to people. Because I find in moments when I'm reaching out to people that it's it's just as much it was good for them, it, it turned out to be even better for me. That my soul was refreshed and replenished. So I say all this in love, I do. just want you to know if you're in this moment and you feel forgotten and you feel uh, your back's against the wall and you're struggling financially, you're out of work, you're, you're feeling sick, you're feeling stressed, depressed, anger, frustrated. It's okay to lament in these moments and go through it. You're not alone. We care. We're trying to do our best to reach out and reach people uh, in, in constructive ways that are still real and tangible and, and within the best practices and, and safety for, for all of us. You know, know it's the eagerness to get back out and touch a person and hug on a person and love on a person but we, we have to practice safety too we have to to be good stewards of our own safety and the safeties of others but we can all pick up a phone we can all pick up a pen and a pa- piece of paper and write a letter we can make a phone call and say i love you we can make facetime we can do a zoom call we can do whatever to just show hey i'm thinking about you i care I don't know what you're going through. I don't, I don't know what you're going through at this moment. I don't know how you feel, but I just need you to know that in this moment, we care. Don't feel forgotten. Don't feel left out. If you need a person, I'm telling you, I'm here. I can listen. I can try to love on you as best I can. So 
take heart, dear soul. That's that's uh, that'll wrap up this segment. Um, until next time, stay safe, uh, stay committed to the fight. Uh, you know, love on each other um, and take care. All right.